Verse 4. We come now to a demanding teaching. Number 6 in our outline, a demanding teaching. When a large crowd was coming together, and those from the various cities were journeying to him, he spoke by way of a parable. The sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the, beside the road and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air ate it up. Other fell on the rocky soil, and as soon as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. Other seed fell into the good soil and grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. As he said these things, he would call out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And by the way, Luke says, as he said these things, he would call, he would call out. In other words, this was an ongoing parable. This would be one that Jesus said more than once. Depending on the group of people he was with, different groups of people, he would call this out again. And every time he did, he would say, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let him hear. A parable from the Greek para, which means alongside, and balo, which means to throw. Just think of throwing a ball. Okay? Alongside. To throw alongside. And the parables of Jesus, that was the purpose. To throw a known truth alongside an unknown truth. Why? Proverbs 25, verse 2 says it's the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings to search out a matter. God wants us to search. God wants us to dig. He wants us to seek to understand. He wants us to have that that hunger, that desire. Now, for an in-depth analysis on this particular parable, the parable, as our Bible, some of your Bible headings say, the parable of the sower, uh, I refer you back to the Matthew 13 teaching that's on the website called So What? Okay? Check that out. You can listen to it because we go line by line and we really talk about these things. But right now, for tonight's purposes, understand that the parables reveal truth. Jesus spoke in parables, throwing an unknown thing alongside a known thing to reveal truth. It would reveal truth for those who had ears to hear. But it would conceal truth for those who did not have ears to hear. The parables could work both ways. Someone who comes to Jesus in faith would understand. Someone who comes to Jesus in doubt. Someone who comes to Jesus as a critic. Someone who's in the crowd just to catch him and his in his words would not understand. Just wouldn't get it. And some might say, well, that seems kind of secretive and unfair. Read on. Verse 11. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Oh wait, did I? Uh, go back to verse 9. Sorry, go back to verse 9. His disciples began questioning to him as to what this parable meant. So they didn't even, didn't even get it at first. And he said, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is in parables, so that, and then he quotes Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. And that's the part that people go, well, that's not fair. Jesus is teaching in parables so some people won't see? So some people won't understand? That's not fair. Now, verse 11. The parable is this. The seed is the Word of God. Those beside the road are those who have heard, and then the devil comes and takes away the Word from their heart, so they will not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the Word with joy. These have no firm root. 
They believe for a while, and in time of temptation fall away. The seed, verse 14, which fell among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard, and as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. But the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. The parable of the sower really should be called the parable of the soils. Because that's the point. That's the issue. Jesus is talking about the kind of soil into which the seed, the Word of God, is sown. He's talking about how the heart receives the Word. And I love it because this is the the parable going out. This is the starter parable. He begins with this one, and then he begins to teach in many parables, as we'll see throughout Luke. Why? It's Jesus' parable on people's response to Jesus' parables. Can you get it? He's saying, here's the deal. I'm going to be teaching like this. How you respond to my teaching has everything to do with your heart. If you're coming to me to receive it, great. It's going to get in. If you're superficial, it's just going to get plucked away. If you're too concerned and worried about life, it's going to get choked out. If the soil is bad, you're not going to get it. Those with faith to hear will understand. Those without faith to hear will not understand. Those, these are the ones with the hard pan soil, the rocky soil, the thorny soil. They reject the seed of the Word. But here's the fairness. Here's where it is absolutely fair the way Jesus taught Those who reject the seed of the Word of God are not burdened with a knowledge or an expectation that they are unable to bear. That's God's grace. I'm not talking about salvation here. I'm talking about life. That understanding the parables demands a response. And so those who... If everybody understood the parables but understood without faith, without a a desire to follow Jesus, they would would be burdened with the demands of the parables. So Jesus teaches in such a way that if you receive Him in faith, you're okay with the demands. If you reject them, you're not burdened with those same demands. Jesus explains further. Verse 16, He says, No one after lighting a lamp covers it over with a container or puts it under a bed, but He puts it on the lampstand so that those who come in may see the light. That is what receiving the parables is about. You become enlightened. You don't turn around and put it out. Verse 17, Nothing is hidden that will not become evident, nor anything secret that will not be known and come to light. So take care how you listen. For whoever has, to him more shall be given. And whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has will be taken away from him. James puts it this way, James 4.17, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. What Jesus is doing with the parables is beautiful because he's protecting people who are not yet ready to believe from having to bear the burden of faith. The burden of belief. The burden of belief. Are you having trouble with this? There's grace in the parables because until these 
teachings are received by faith, they're not going to burden a person. But when they are received by faith, there are demands that come with them. In other words, you cannot listen to the word of Jesus and reject the demands that come from listening to the word of Jesus. If you receive His word, you are bound by His word. And you have to do what the Word tells you to do. Not as robots. doesn't mean we've lost any kind of free will. It just means the reality of Jesus begins to sink in. It means those who come to Bible study on a Wednesday night like you're doing, guess what? There's now a higher expectation for you. Praise the Lord. It's a good thing. But it is a higher expectation than someone who's bumping along in life and doesn't have a clue. And that person is not burdened with the Word. So people who though seeing, that means they're surfacey, they won't see. And though hearing superficially, they won't hear. And again, that's God's kindness. What are the demands of the Word? Well, Jesus spells it out for us very clearly. He says back down there in verse 15, those who hear the Word, hold it fast, and note this, bear fruit with perseverance. The Word, when it gets into our hearts, must germinate and therefore must bear fruit. And James said, I mean, I've got to take a second on this because we've got to understand this. James says in chapter 1, verse 18 of his letter, In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the Word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. You know, my beloved brethren, But everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness, here come the demands, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Anybody can hear a Bible teaching. Anybody can sit in a church and and suffer through a sermon. Anyone can do that. But those who hear the Word and act on it are now bound bound in a different way to a greater extent. And, And you might say, well, if that's the case, why not just skip it all and remain ignorantly blissful and miss out on the sweet fruit? You see, once you've tasted the Word... You taste and see that the Lord is good. You just want more. It's kind of an addiction. Best addiction out there. But you start to get in the Word and it's so sweet you want more. But understand this, and here's where I'm going with all of this. We receive the Word implanted for one reason. To bear fruit. That's why we receive it. That's what I believe Jesus means in verse 18 when He says, take care how you listen. Because how you listen matters. Take care how you listen. Let me put a fine point on this. Did you come to Bible study tonight for yourself or for someone else? This really spun me around this week. Because typically, I come for me. Well, I know I'm teaching, but you understand that I get into the Word because I want Him, I want him to change me. I want the Word to germinate in me. I want my heart changed. I want, I want to be altered. I want to be more like Jesus. Well, that's all very self-centered motivation. Jesus says, I want you to bear fruit, Rick. 
so I'm supposed to be fruitful? <laughs> what does that look like? To bear fruit means in other people's lives. We take in the Word as we are doing that we might bear fruit for others, that other people would come to the Lord, that other people would find salvation, that other people would hear the Word of truth. Disciples who have, as Isaiah 50 verse 4 says, a word in season for the weary ones. The disciple doesn't have a word in season for himself. The word is for someone else. It's parents getting into the Word of God so that we have something, so that we can glean truths that we might bear fruit in our children. Wives, to offer a gentle word to your husbands. Husbands, to offer a kind word to your wives. Friends, to offer words to friends. Saved people, offering the word of truth to the lost. The word comes in, germinates, and my responsibility now, the demand of God's word, is that I tell someone else. I'm out there bearing fruit. I am spreading the word. I go from being soil to becoming a sower of the Word of God. And that's the point of the parable. And that's what Jesus is calling us to. Bearing fruit. And to cap it all off, note this, we're told in verse 19, His mother and his brothers came to him, and they were unable to get to him because of the crowd, and it was reported to him, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside wishing to see you. But he answered and said to them, My my mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. Those who hear the word of God and do it. Why are they his mothers and brothers? Because they hear the word, they do the word, and they reproduce. They extend His family. You see, as we bear fruit, we're extending the family of God. Every person who comes to faith in Jesus Christ, because you spread the seed, because you bore fruit, are now mothers and sisters and brothers and fathers. They're all family. And that is Jesus' great intention. Well, verse 22, So now on one of those days, Jesus and His disciples got into a boat. And He said to them, Let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they launched out. But as they were sailing along, He fell asleep. And a fierce gale of wind descended on the lake. And they began to be swamped and be in danger. These little 30 by, what did I say Sunday? 30 by about 6 feet wide, 30 feet long. That was the biggest boat on the Galilee in the day. So when these squalls would come up, and they can come up fast on Lake Canaret, those ships could go down quickly. And the lake is big enough that you could drown in a squall out there. And so they were freaking out. And it says in verse 24, they came to Jesus. And they woke Him up saying, Master, Master, we're perishing. And He got up and rebuked the wind and the surging waves. And they stopped. And it became calm. And He said to them, Where's your faith? They were fearful and amazed, saying to one another, Who then is this? That He commands even the winds and the water and they obey Him. Number seven in our outline, the drama on the sea. The drama on the sea. Earlier Luke tells us that Jesus rebuked the demons. Right? And even rebuked a fever. And now He rebukes the wind and the waves. And the Greek word for rebuke there, epitomao, indicates a denouncing or a reprimand, get this, of a personality. So the fever was demonically inspired. So the demon possessions obviously were demonic. 
So the rebuke of the wind and the waves was a rebuke, I think, of demonic forces that were trying to swamp the boat and kill the Messiah. Take them out while we can. Satan's on the attack. Jesus rebuked the wind and the waves. And if you need a little more proof of that back in Mark 4.39, we're told that Jesus rebuked the wind saying, Hush! Be still. And the word hush in the Greek, siopao, means hold your tongue. (laughs) He is speaking to a personality. Of course, Scripture tells us that Satan is the prince of the power of the air. And he says to the wind, knock it off. Hush. Rebuke. The devil is clearly in the details of this storm. It is more fiend than foul weather here. But Jesus has all authority. And this is the point of His question to the apostles and it cuts right to my heart. And I don't even believe it's meant as a rebuke when He says, where is your faith? It's not, where is your faith? As much as, where is your faith? Is your faith in me? Or is your faith in the oars? Is your faith in the boat? Is your faith in landing on the far shore? Where's your faith? It's a question to make them think about why? Why am I so upset? I believe Jesus will whisper this to you and to me sometimes. You're freaking out about everything in life going on and how are we going to get through it all? And He says, where's your faith? Make sure your faith is with me. If your faith is with me, we're going to sail to the other side. We're going to land. We're going to get there. I'm here. Where's your faith? Psalm 89, verse 8. says, O Lord God of hosts, who is like you? O mighty Lord, your faithfulness also surrounds you. You rule the swelling of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. A messianic prophecy, I believe, of exactly what we just saw Jesus do. Where is our faith? Verse 26 quickly, they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, or Gadara, sometimes it's written Gadarenes, which is opposite Galilee, and when he came out onto the land, he was met by a man from the city who was possessed with demons, and who had not put on any clothing for a long time, and was not living in a house, but in the tombs. Seeing Jesus, he cried out and fell before him and said in a loud voice, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had not, for he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For it had seized him many times, and he was bound with chains and shackles and kept under guard, and yet he would break his bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion. A legion, a Roman legion, 6,000. My name is Legion. For many demons had entered him, and they were imploring him, note this, not to command them to go away into the abyss. The abyss, the abuso in the Greek. What is the abyss? Gang, the abyss, Revelation chapter 9 tells us, currently is prison of a contingent of especially hellish demons. The abyss, Revelation chapter 20, tells us that's where Satan will be bound during the millennial kingdom, in the abyss. The abyss is a place even demons are fearful of. 
And so these demons, this demon legion, says, don't throw, don't send us into the abyss, Jesus. They know His authority. They recognize His power. And so, verse 32 says, there was a herd of many swine feeding there on the mountains, and the demons implored Him to permit them to enter the swine. He gave them permission And the demons came out of the mountain and entered the swine and the herd rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and was drowned. And of course, you know, the Galilee became the Bay of Pigs, right? (laughs) For you cultured Bible students, Swine Lake. Pork bellies were falling due to a rash of swine flu. Verse 34, when the herdsmen saw what had happened, they ran away and reported it in the city and out in the country. We're told the people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they became frightened. Now they're frightened? Are you kidding me? Now... They're worried. Now they're freaking out because not before when he was running naked in the tomb screaming and yelling all through the night. I mean, where? You know what? He's sitting there clothed and in his right mind and you know, that's what scares the world. That is what scares the world. A man healed. A man from whom there are no more demons. A man who is at peace. Sitting there in righteousness and whole. The unbelieving world fears what is good and right and clean and whole. All the while, our unbelieving world, test this, look at the news, turn on the TV, all the while our unbelieving world is very much into and embracing that which is dark, brutal, and demonic. That doesn't bother the world at all. Righteous students praying at school, that freaks out people. A Christian sharing the name of Jesus in a public place, that bothers people. Someone in their right mind clothed and bearing the name of Christ, that scares people. Why? Because as long as there's evil out there, I'm not so bad. But when I'm around you Christian people, I'm not so sure where I stand. It's an upside down world, gang. But something epic here is going on in the house of Israel. This surge, as we've talked about, Jesus comes on the scene and all of a sudden, for the first time, hadn't happened before, in the, in the 400, what they call the silent years, what cases in, in history do we have of demon possession? Back in the days... Of Israel early on, not a whole lot going on in that realm. Suddenly, Jesus comes on the scene and demons are everywhere. I mean, they go ballistic. What's happening here? Jesus is cleaning house. Jesus says in Luke 11, verse 20, If I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are undisturbed. But when someone stronger than he attacks him and overpowers him, he takes away from him all his armor on which he had relied and distributes his plunder. Jesus is talking about his overtaking Satan. 
about His casting out. Jesus was specifically casting out demons, purposefully casting out demons, to clean house in Israel so the Jewish people could hear the word of truth. So with a clean house, they could come and truly listen to Jesus as He taught. He overcame the strong man. And of course, the strong man, Satan, was not happy about it. It's interesting that the ultimate victory came at the highest price in a way that the strong man could not possibly have foreseen. Satan, working through the Jewish leaders, working through the Romans, working through the people, would attempt to take Jesus out time and time again and finally would think he accomplished it on the cross. Not knowing that that is exactly what Jesus intended to have happen. Because through the cross, salvation exploded onto the world. Well, verse 34, when the herdsmen saw what had happened, they ran away and reported it in the city and out in the country. The people went out to see what had happened. They came to Jesus. They found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind. They became frightened. I know I already read that. Verse 36, those who had seen it reported to them how the man who was demon-possessed had been made well. And all the people of the country of the Gerasenes and the surrounding district asked him to leave. Let's get prayer out of the public schools. Let's remove the Ten Commandments from the public square. Let's, let's be sure that we don't cross religion into what's happening in our country. Let's get it out. Let's ask it to leave. Well, for they were gripped with great fear, and he got into a boat, and he returned. But the man from whom the demons had gone out was begging him that he might accompany him, but he sent him away saying, Return to your house and proclaim or describe what great things God has done for you. So he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. Wait a minute. Jesus said, Tell him what God did for you. Well, now he's going around telling what Jesus had done for him. Same difference. Six of one, half dozen of the other. God, Jesus... Same person. The demoniac, number eight in our outline, was sent back. The demoniac was sent back. Jesus, the caster-outer of demons, now gets back in his boat. They ask him to leave, so he does. He crosses over and he leaves the man behind. Why? And understand this, it's a subtle note. Jesus, I believe, left the man behind to keep his house clean. Not Jesus' house, but to keep the man's house clean. What do you mean? I always thought he left the man behind to proclaim Jesus. He did. But he also left the man behind because it was the best thing possible for this demon, unpossessed man. It's what he needed. It's what the man needed. Not only was this man to become a vessel of evangelism and to take the word to his household, household, but his evangelistic efforts would keep his house clean would keep the demons away. You want to keep the demons out of your life? Proclaim Jesus. You come to Jesus, you want a life truly changed, and I would say this to a brand new, spanking new believer in Jesus Christ, a new babe in Christ, I would say the best thing you can do is start proclaiming Jesus everywhere. Well, I hardly know anything. You know, He saved you. And the truth is, the more we minister, the less room there is in our house for the demon to return. And he will try. And he does attempt this. Luke 11.24, Jesus says, when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and not finding any, it says, 
I'll return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it swept and put in order. And then it goes and takes seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they go in and live there. And the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. Why? Because an empty house is an easy target. So you can cleanse a person of all the stuff, all the sin, all the bad that's in their life. You can take it out, set it aside. But if you don't replace that house with something good and righteous and holy, that is with the Spirit of Christ Himself, then that person is is in danger. That's why, you know what? Discipleship has got to become more important to us here. It's got to. We can cast out all we want. What are we filling? That's why your presence here tonight is so important because we are filling up with the Word of God. There's no room for the devil to get in and work around when our house is not only clean, but it is full of the Spirit of Christ. Now understand, for this man, the Holy Spirit was yet to be given. See, now that's a big difference. He's being sent out as an evangelist without the indwelling Holy Spirit. And so Jesus does the best thing possible for him. He gives him a role. He keeps him. He puts him to work. How do you keep from losing the word that Jesus speaks into your life? By doing it. And so we see in this man what we were talking about earlier. The doing of the word. Keep the word. Hold the word. Do the word. Bear fruit by the word. And that's what the man was sent to do. Incredibly practical. Proclaim the word. Bear fruit. Keep the house clean. Bear witness to the one who has made you clean. Verse 40. Verse 40, by the way, could be a life verse for all of us. And as Jesus returned, the people welcomed Him, for they had all been waiting for Him. Amen. That's that's where I want to be. Welcoming Jesus because we have been waiting for Jesus. Verse 41. This is the last point now. Real quickly, we'll get this and be done tonight. The daughters of faith. The daughters of faith. Verse 41. There came a man named Jairus who was an official of the synagogue, he fell at Jesus' feet and began to implore him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about twelve years old, and she was dying. But as he went, the crowds were pressing against him. And a woman who had a hemorrhage for how long? Twelve years. So her hemorrhage started just about the time the synagogue's leader's little girl was born. And could not be healed by anyone you got two daughters here one is 12 years old and dying imminently the other one has 12 years of slowly dying of bleeding out I'm not sure which one is worse to be honest to die quickly or to die over a long extended period of time both were in a very hopeless situation in verse 44 it tells us She came up behind him, this woman who had been bleeding, touched the fringe of his cloak, and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. The fringe of his cloak, the zitzit in the Hebrew. Numbers 15, 38, They shall make for themselves tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations, and they shall put on the tassel of each corner a cord of blue, and even now on the robes, uh, Hasidic men or ultra-Orthodox will have this. They have the corner on the robe with the tassel hanging off of it. God said in Numbers 15.39, It shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord so as to do them and not follow after your own heart and your own eyes after which you played the harlot. These were a mnemonic device, a memory device 
for the men of Israel. That every time they noticed those tassels, they would think about, or were supposed to think about, Torah, the commandments of God. And so, Jesus had this, as any good Jewish man would. She goes for the seat. The bleeding woman reaches out for the tassel. Why? Because that was the symbol of the person's authority. And as a matter of fact, a lot of times the Jewish men would, on that corner tassel, they would inscribe things like their position at work. You know, what they did. Something that was an expression of the authority that they had in their life. And so she went for the tassel, that square corner. She went for the authority of Christ. That's the answer to how do you stop the bleeding of a lifetime of sorrows? You go to the authority of Jesus. That's how you stop the bleeding. Verse 45. And Jesus said, Who is the one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, I didn't touch him, you touch him, I didn't touch him, Peter, I didn't touch him. Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone did touch me, for I was aware that power had gone out from me. I remind you here again of the word, Luke likes this word, dunamis, the power of Christ. The power of Christ. Not only the power, but dunamis means, as we talked about Sunday, virtue. It is the virtue of Christ. And that is so important because understand, hey, Satan's got power. He does. Demons have power. Only Jesus has the virtue of the power. That is the quality of power that belongs to Him alone, that is innately His, that is an aspect of His very nature. I would say to a Wiccan priest, sure, there's power in that dark stuff, but there's no virtue. I would say to a Mason, hey, you may toy with secret powers in your order, but the quality of divine power is only found in Christ Jesus. His is the power and the virtue, the nature, the character. It's all wrapped up into who He is. And so when He felt that power go out from Him, this is, this is the nature of Christ touching this woman. She reaches out in faith and see what happens? His nature is, is to go to the faithful. Someone comes to Him in faith and He goes out powerfully in response to that faith. Man, there are all kinds of places in this world we can go to for power and might and strength and prowess, but only in Jesus do we find true virtue. Peter says, 2 Peter 1.3, His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. Verse 47. When the woman saw that she had not escaped notice... She came trembling and fell down before Him and declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched Him and how she had been immediately healed. And He said to her, and I love this, daughter. That's intentional. Then say woman. Remember when He was at the wedding feast in Cana and His mom said, Hey, They need some help to fix this lack of wine problem. And Jesus says, woman, what does that have to do with me? And it's a respectful term. Woman, gune in the Greek. It's it's a respectful way to address a person. And he addressed his own mother that way. 
But this woman, who he had never met before, he looks at her and says, Daughter, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Why is that so significant? Because for 12 years she was unclean. For 12 years no one would have anything to do with her but the doctors who couldn't heal her. And by the way, Matthew talks about the doctors not being able to heal her. It's interesting, Luke doesn't. (laughs) Dr. Luke, you know. Just got to let that one slide. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Meanwhile, as Jesus is tenderly dealing with one daughter, another daughter is dead. Verse 49. While he was still speaking, someone came from the house of the synagogue official saying, Your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But when Jesus heard this, he answered him, Do not be afraid. Only believe. And she will be made well. When he came to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the girl's father and mother. Now they were all weeping and lamenting for her, so the professional mourners had shown up doing what they do, all the wailing and crying and all that, and it wasn't for real because he said to them, stop weeping, she's not died, she's asleep, and they began laughing at him. That word laughing literally means laughing to scorn. How quickly this morning turned into spite. They laughed at him knowing that she had died. He, however, took her by the hand and called saying, Child, arise. I I might say that to Naomi, my eight-year-old daughter, to wake her up for school in the morning. Or or to David, my five-year-old son. Child, little boy, time to get up. And Jesus speaks these beautiful, tender words, Child, arise, and her spirit return. And she got up immediately, and He gave orders for something to be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but He instructed them to tell no one what had happened. The women knew where to go. Actually, the woman knew where to go. The little girl was already gone. Right? So the woman knew to go to the authority of Christ. The little girl was already gone. But in both cases, the one who seemed too far gone and the one who realized where she needed to go, in both cases, both girls needed the dunamis. Both needed the power, the virtue of Jesus Christ. We end there, and I think it's marvelous, we began tonight with a delegation of faith. We end tonight with the daughters of faith. Because it was by faith that the power was released to the woman with the 12-year bleed and to the 12-year-old daughter who was dead. It was by faith. What did Jesus say to the synagogue official? Don't be afraid. Believe. Don't be afraid. Just keep on believing. I can't even imagine what was going through the mind of Jairus. As he makes his way back to the house with Jesus there, a Jesus who has just said, I'm with you in this. It ain't over yet. Is it possible? They say she's dead. Is it possible that this could happen? That that, that He can still do something? And even if there was that much possibility for Jairus, even if it was just a mustard seed, you might say, of faith, it's all that that it took. It's all that was needed. Because where faith is expressed, the power of Christ always comes to meet it. And so we see both daughters healed. Faith, it taps into the heart of Jesus. It always calls Jesus. 
And Jesus always responds to faith. I have one verse to read to you and we're done. Romans 4.16 Listen to Paul's words on faith. He says, For this reason our inheritance is by faith. In order that it may be in accordance with grace, so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, that is the Jewish people, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is a father of us all. As it is written, a father of many nations I have made you. In the presence of Him who believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. Be it a Jew, a Gentile, a slave, a free man, a male, a female, all are truly one by faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus, thank You for calling out faith. And I pray that You will increase our faith tonight. That You will build up in us faith. Lord, You came into our lives. You cleaned house. You cleaned out all the muck and the mire of our sin. Now, Lord, we pray, fill us evermore with Your Spirit. Fill us with faith. Give us strength in these last days to follow You, to to take in Your Word, Lord, and to bear fruit to be doers of the Word that we have heard here tonight. And we ask this in the precious name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.